Hello, all. Welcome once again to the Kindred Spirits Enneagram podcast. My name is Chris Hayden. I'm the pastor at Kindred UMC. I apologize if I sound a little nasally. I'm a little under the weather. But this week we had on the podcast a, a wonderful young man named Derek Jones. I actually don't know how young he is, but you know, you'll like him. Uh, and uh, we had a lovely time. I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. If you would like to be a guest, we are currently booking. And uh, you can email us at kindredumc at gmail.com. And we will get back to you. And always like, rate, review, subscribe, share it with friends. That helps. And with no further ado, away we go. Okay. Craigbot is now recording. So, Derek, hey. welcome. Thank you so, for having me. So glad to have you. Uh, so, I've never met you. Uh, <laughs> Courtney... Courtney has met you. Yes. And it's a little bit of an interesting story. Um, how did you arrive here at our podcast? So I arrived at the podcast because Courtney asked me to join, you know, uh, and Courtney and I are good friends. The way we met was absolutely amazing. Uh, we were sitting next to each other on a flight to Texas. And uh, she was like, we should be, she started talking to me. And I guess that was about it. <laughs> we started yeah. to be huh. She was extremely was... friendly. She's and, normally uh, so shy. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> I was being very annoying. I was annoying in Grace, and we were 18, and Derek was, like, laughing. <laughs> I looked over and said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. We're being so annoying. And that's how we became friends. We talked the whole rest <laughs> of the flight about Bitcoin and business pants. Yes, business. Time. Yes. Business pants. Grace thought that Derek's associate was very cute, and she referred to him as business pants. Business pants. Yes. <laughs> that's that story. Ah. <laughs> that's a good nickname, business pants. It is right. And I've, Derek's I've, girlfriend I've had is worse super things. cool. Or wife. She's your wife now. I knew her as She's your girlfriend and your fiance. Oh, Megan's yes. like the coolest. She plays yes, soccer. She does. She plays soccer international. She played uh, in Ireland, at Cork City, Sweden, and also in uh, Italy. So that was awesome, We're traveling over there. And uh, we just recently had our first child, too. Uh, really? Congratulations. Yeah, well, I'm acting surprised for the audience, but <laughs> let's face it, I already knew that. Yeah, uh, he was born June 8th, Davi. Davi Raphael Jones. Yeah, he's awesome. We love Lafayette. old Dobby. Yeah. Lafayette's a good middle name. That's a, that's a strong, strong middle name. Thank you, thank you. That's my middle name, too. Is that I, may have gone, I may have gone with Mercutio, but Lafayette's that's a good, good too. one. That's a good one, too. <laughs> that's a good one, too. Oh, man. So, Derek, uh, yeah. how is being your father? It's actually very, very awesome. Um... Something happened when I had a son that I didn't know was going to happen, but it was very interesting. I realized that the level of love that I had before my son was born was at probably like a two compared to the amount of love that I have now in my heart. Aww. And it's really interesting because it made me realize I've been under loving everything in my life. 
And then at the same time, it made me realize what my parents were always saying when they're like, you don't understand. Like, I really did it. Because the second that you have a child, like everything opens up, like it's like colors are different. Like it's amazing. And so, yeah, now I'm, I have a lot of love in my heart and I'm, I'm way more tolerant, I guess. And I mean, I was tolerant before, but I mean, like now it's just like, I understand what parents are, are doing. You know, you have a kid that's screaming in your face at the top of their lungs and you're just like, oh, you're the cutest thing I've ever seen, you know? So it's it's just. So I imagine um, people cutting in line at the hot dogs is less of a yeah. problem. Yeah, that doesn't even bother you. Not at that's, all. <laughs> that's really interesting that you would say that because whenever I describe you, Derek, to my friends that don't know you, the three words that always come to my head are like, "You're fun." Like I always say, Derek is one of the most fun people I've ever met. <laughs> you're compassionate and you're very like you're just light you know like you're just a light energy like you just you put off all the good vibes into the world so it's interesting to hear you say that like you were under loving because I, I have always seen you as somebody who is constantly over loving that makes me question the amount of love I have you should that's why we came here Courtney, we'd like to talk to you. Oh, great. But you're underperforming love level. <laughs> um, so, uh, Derek, I, have, I asked the question again, already knowing the answer. Have you had the opportunity to take the Enneagram test? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And Derek, are you, Derek, prepared to reveal, Derek, your number to the world. I am, I guess. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Well. Oh, no, I can't. I lost you. I can't hear you. Are, are you there? Uh, you're, you're making noise now, but I can't hear you talk. Uh oh. So, oh, okay. Something happened. I think I should be caught. Back. Uh, um, do you have like earbuds or ear pods or anything like that? That might help. Oh, now you're muted. I think we're transitioning to earpods. Oh, there's just a, there's a lot of rock and roll happening. Oh yeah, we love real to see cool, it. Real cool angles and with the camera, <laughs> it's like a '90s music video on MTV. I'm wearing a '90s shirt. It matches the vibes. It does. It does match hey, the vibes. Hey, that's oh, yeah. And I'm wearing like a, a cut up T-shirt, which is like a whole 90s vibe too. Whatever. We love it. <laughs> my my T-shirt is decidedly early 2000s. It's a it's a the TV show Community. It's a reference. Oh, nice. To Greendale Community College. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Um. So uh, after all that suspense, because I know everybody's waiting with bated breath to hear 
what your Enneagram type is. So, okay. Derek, would you please reveal your Enneagram type number type? My Enneagram number type is a number three, the achiever. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And the right? subtype for this. So, Chris, I have a feeling that your first guess about what Derek is might be similar to what my guess about what Derek was. Because um, before I had Derek take the test, and I could be wrong, maybe you guessed something completely different. But before I had Derek take the test, I thought he was a seven. Oh, really? I was mm-hmm. going to say that he was, uh, I don't type other people because I'm not a, a terrible, selfish person. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> of course you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Uh-huh. I wasn't and typing. Then, I was making that, an educated guess. Seven. Yeah. So, but this makes sense because his subtype as a social three looks like a type seven. Anyway, we're going to okay. get into all that. We're going to start with some three basics, Derek. I'm going to say statements, and I mean them as questions. So if you just want to listen for things you identify with, balk at, question, any of that, and then um, we will go from there. But first, I want to ask, like, how familiar are you with the Enneagram? Have you heard of it before this podcast? So before the podcast, uh, I I have heard of it before. And I want to say that I've actually researched some of this before, but I don't remember it very well. Okay. And so when I took the test, it was, it, it, was, it was a good refresher, if you will. And I'm really excited to learn more about it. Yay. All right. Oh. Let's get into it. So the Enneagram is a personality, is a motivation-based personality assessment. We need to come up with an acronym We're gonna- for that. We're going to have this conversation with Beatrice Chestnut and Aranio Pais, authors yes, we're of ask. The Enneagram Guide to Waking Up. We're going to and, ask them about it. And I'm going to point out to them that they use personality quite often as they're describing the Enneagram. Well... Great. I can't wait to get into it with them. Anyway, it's a motivation-based personality assessment, meaning that the Enneagram is all about why you do what you do, not what you do. There are obviously personality traits that do come into play with this, but you have to start at the why it's also before about you, what you get do. into the what. It's also about what you do. Yeah, but it starts it's with not, why. It's not just why you do what you do, not what you do. It's why you do what you do and what you do. Sure. Yeah, fair like, enough. It, it's, it's a lot of both. It, it is a lot of both. But what I was saying is we have to start with the why we do what we do before we can get into the what we do. So core motivation of a type three is to be successful and valuable. Now, that's to be seen. That, yes, it is also it is not just being successful and valuable, but also to be seen as successful and valuable. So threes want to know that what they bring to the table really matters, um, meaning that the core fear of a type three is of worthlessness or being invaluable or unsuccessful. Um, so threes are they are heart centers, meaning that they tend to feel first, but they will often repress that. Because they have goals they want to achieve. They have things they need to accomplish. They want to prove Mm -hmm. that they're Mm -hmm. worthy of love and of being, you know, seen as valuable. So they'll often feel, um, but they repress it to 
get everything done. Um, so the core longing of a type three is to be loved just for who you are rather than for what you do. Threes tend to place their self-worth in what they do, in what they bring to the table, but they all they really truly want is for someone to love them for who they are. Um, Which is a bit of a paradox. It's like, that's mm -hmm. like the trap of a type three. Right. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. wanting to be loved for who you are, but constantly feeling the need to prove your worth and demonstrate your value through what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, question, not statement. <clears throat> I would say, no, am I supposed to just answer this like with a, a statement myself or is it like a yes, no? No, you uh, feel free to take it wherever you want. Do you, I mean, if you if okay. you really identify with something, by all means, claim it. And if you really disagree with something, by all means, state state that you disagree with it and what you actually think it is. It's all it's this is your podcast. OK, cool. So the part about being loved for who you are. Oh, that's absolutely me. You know, like I would definitely say that that would probably be why me and my wife get along so well. Right. She is very loving. She loves me exactly for who I am. All the pros, cons, pluses, minuses, all of that. You know, she loves all of that about me. And so that's I love that. Uh, the part about really wanting to be valuable. It's interesting because I kind of looked up what a three was a little bit once I got the result. And I, I was kind of analyzing that. And I've always had so. Courtney also knows something about me that I'm, I'm a pretty faithful guy, right? And so one thing that I what do you mean, always, you mean like spiritually, like religious or spiritual, loyal? religious, loyal? I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't like to put a label on it because. So, for example, I would say that I'm a Muslim. Right. Because to me, a Muslim is a person who submitted themselves to God. But I also follow the teachings of Jesus very closely. Right. And the reason I do that is because I see him as a figure of someone that you're supposed to live up to. And so that's kind of where my whole. It's also think, very Muslim. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like Jesus is a prophet. <laughs> Absolutely. In Islam. And yes, he is known as Isa. Yeah. Right. So what happens, I think, is that my whole achievement mindset comes from wanting to achieve a level of almost like prophethood or almost like wanting to be like Jesus, Esau, you know, and wanting to do things that impact the world at such a high level that it allows it, it creates monumental change. And so I think that's where I'm a lot of my I'm having a different theory about yeah, what I think Chris and I are on the yeah. same page. Yeah. That so, sounds like a very different number to me. Okay. Okay, so uh, the, just, test, <laughs> the test when you take it, and this is Which, why... Which, by the way, can, can I just say, because this is a thing that... I think this is a thing that happens with a lot of Enneagrams, talks, and things like this. Um, the goal of all of this discussion is not to put you in a box or mm -hmm. create a label for you. Mm -hmm. um, to me, all of this is the fun of getting to know like who you are and what's going on and what you really like. So please, if you are ever feeling confined by any of this, like, <laughs> by all means, say so. This definitely and... doesn't speak from experience. Yeah, I hate, I hate the, the, the barriers and the boxing of that can yeah. come along with Enneagram stuff. I hate it. 
but I think I recognize a lot of what you just said. And so the, the point I was just about to make, um, I want to circle back to that. So the reason that we don't just refer to the Enneagram as a personality assessment and the, is because the test itself is only 50% accurate, meaning mm-hmm. that when people take the test, they take it based on their behavior patterns and they take it based on like what they want to see themselves as or what they do. What we have to remember is that the Enneagram comes back to why we do what we do. It's harder to measure that in a test format. So the most accurate way to get your Enneagram type is actually to look at the core fear and core motivation of each type and type that way. But the Mm -hmm. test is a really good starting place because it'll start to give you an idea of what you might or might not be. Now, based on... The Enneagram deals with a lot of subconscious stuff. Yeah. Which And that's why it's hard to like specifically accurately type you with a test because we're really talking about stuff that everyone is unaware of like at at least half of it is is stuff we're all unaware of right Mm -hmm. so um i'm gonna go ahead and put out there that based on what you just said i actually think you might be a type one is that the consensus you are arriving at chris okay sounds very familiar so what's a type one so I'm going to talk through that. And again, Dep- listen for it, de- things- it depends on what kind of type one you are. <laughs> well, he's a social one, which I actually think is a counter type. No, it's the sexual. No, one. it's the counter type. Okay. No, but uh, social ones tend to look like twos or threes. So that also makes sense to me. We'll get into all that. I'm just the, o- the only reason I basis. even know that the sexual one is a countertype is because I'm, that's what you are. I'm pretty darn sure that's exactly what I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the core motivation of a one is to have integrity and virtue. So it's to, um, it's often sincerity and honesty. Yeah. It's often referred to as the moral perfectionist, but that manifests in like being sincere, being true. Um, Like Chris as a type one, a big thing for him is I want to, I want to, I want to interact with people that are sincere and pursuing truth. Um, And I'm actually not crazy about the moral perfectionist label. Right. I, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's great language because it, it sounds like somebody who's really obsessed with rules and laws. Right. And, and unhealthy and ones is op- can is be. oppressive. And unhealthy that's... type ones can be. And that's where I think that language does come from. But I agree with you. I think it's more about the sincerity and truth and honesty than it is yeah. about the rules and laws. However, type I think ones... it's more about like an internal personal code. It's mm-hmm. almost like it's almost it's almost like the way of the night. You know, why am like I chivalry? describing a type one? You should do yes. it. You're a type one. So, so well, I'm I'm a counter type one. So I I'm I may be off in some of this, but I, I as best I can tell, a type one is is really concerned with <clears throat> some some kind of sense of like not just sincerity, but like a truth, like uh, a way that it ought to be. A way that things could really be like if if we would all just then we could be in heaven is the way I describe it. 
You know, ah, if, if, yes. if we would just cooperate and be this way, then we could be in heaven right now. Heaven is right. And like, this is my Jesus language. Heaven is at hand. Heaven is yes. within our grasp. Absolutely. We, and if we would cooperate with what I describe as this undergirding grace of creation, if we would cooperate with what grace is asking of us, then we could all be in heaven right now. And Absolutely. why would we settle for anything less than that? What, like, why wouldn't we, what better goal for our lives could there be than striving for heaven? It, like, so that's, that's my type oneness. Like, I think that's a really good way of describing it. Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the core fear of that type one, Derek, is of being wrong, bad, or evil. Well, yeah, word, 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 yes. That would that would apply, <laughs> and not wrong, not wrong like incorrect. Right, wrong. Yeah, like that's as incorrect a, is easy. Incorrect is easy. Yeah. Oh, I got that wrong. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's like, what, did I wrong. hurt? Did I hurt yeah. somebody with that? Yeah. I lost my temper. Did I hurt somebody? Yeah. I don't want to be the um, bad guy. Is another way of yeah. describing it. Which yeah. is something that I before I even knew about the enneagram was a phrase that came out of my mouth a lot. Um, I feel like I'm the bad guy, oh. and I'm I, I'm I'm trying to be a good boy, and I feel like I'm the bad guy in this. Yeah, I try and to like, be a good guy all the time. Yeah. yeah, I remember back in the '90s when internet was first coming out, and I was like in high school, and I was and I, like playing on like chat rooms and like AOL, Instant Messenger, and all that, and I would <laughs> use the, my my nick my like screen name was always good guy. Nice. Like that's nice. that's like an origin story. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I watch superhero movies all the time because I just want to see good guys win. You know. <laughs> so here, who do you identify that... with? Hold on. Who? Do, what superhero do you identify with, or, or do you admire the most? You know. You know. To be honest, like I really like Superman, but I think I identify the most with uh, Batman. And Dude, the, and that the reason, is such a type one thing to say. Because <laughs> Superman is the ideal. Yeah, Superman is the Batman ideal. And Batman is the flawed is the, version. Is the reality. Batman yes. is the reality. Batman is like, you can be Batman. Like, all you yes. have to do is make a decision to go put on some armor and you're Batman. Like, I'm going to fight but evil. you want to be <laughs> Superman and be completely like, like yes. nothing can touch me. So you could go defeat evil. But yeah, Batman makes some hard decisions, man. That's why yeah. I like Batman. Batman, yeah. Batman is the guy who has the protocols in place when Superman goes rogue. He has to well, make the also, hard decisions. <laughs> uh, Batman has a hard code. Like, he yes. has, like, a, a code of ethics. That, Absolutely. Like, he, there are lines he will not cross, you know? Like, like I, I, I really identify with your uh, selections right there. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, man, that's, I guess that's type one, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think you are. I, I, I think the way that we're resonating on the same stuff, I think you are. All right, cool. Yeah, um, yeah and that would make sense that you would have that two wing because uh, you could be a one wing too because your, your wing can be the number on either side of your type. So as a one, you're either a one wing nine or a one wing two. 
Um, mm. Type two, that's my type. It just means that you take on some more of the helpful, loving personality traits of a type two, which means oh, yeah. you might be more compassionate about other people, more extroverted, um, more people pleasing, um, more loving, compassionate, tenderhearted than a Absolutely. one nine might be. So, so you're, you're, you're a two, Courtney. Right. I'm a two. I'm a two oh, wing yeah. three. Yeah, I think, two, so, I think Courtney's a textbook too. Yeah, like and people it's, should it's actually, study Courtney in a lab to discover what twos are. It's actually really <laughs> funny because when I first took the test in high school, like when I first started getting into the Enneagram, I tested as a one, but wow. I'm definitely not a one. I was just using one personality traits to cope because um, ones mm. tend to be very black and white and very this is how it is. Um, there's there's not a lot of room for gray. In fact, that's one of the growth areas for a type one is to make room for gray and start to lean into that a little more. And so when I was in like a defensive, unhealthy spot, I tended to be more perfectionistic, more black and white, um, particularly with my dad, more this is how it is. Um, but nope, I'm a two. I'm definitely a type <laughs> That's awesome. But you know what? That's really interesting that you say that. I definitely do have to work on my gray. Hmm. I, 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 that's something that uh, I actively work on with uh, friends and family is disgusting and learning gray. Because in my mind, there's not much. Right? So, so I have to like actually discuss with people like, is there, is there really gray? Really? Huh? I, I, I guess there is. <laughs> I, I find myself, so like I, I do well with gray on things that I'm undecided about. Mm. And I, I find myself getting in trouble when I, I talk about issues that I've, because I, I, I'm also very curious, like I'm, I'm just an inherently naturally curious person. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a pastor, I get the benefit of a lot of my, work hours during the week are just researching things Word. like because uh, mm -hmm. i'm i'm supposed to be informed and educated about what i'm talking right. about yeah. i'm delivering a message that's more than just a speech that's a you know like so uh, so i i get a lot of my job to just like poke around and be curious about the things that i'm curious about um when when i decide on an issue when I'm curious about something and then I research it and then I like know a lot about it and then I'm like, this seems to be the clear answer, I can be just an unrelenting asshole. I hear you. Yeah. Like that's so like I'm good with gray when I don't know. Mm -hmm. But once I know, it's like you're going to have to make a really strong argument. And also, if you push back on what I say, I'll I'll push back harder. Yeah, more facts. I'm, more research. Because I'm armed. Yeah, I'm armed. <laughs> yeah. I'm researched. I'm I'm good to go. I'm I'm smarter than you. I'm bigger than you. And I'll out like and I like it gets that way. Yeah, I've gone through the hours of analysis to achieve this opinion, right. and I know it's not an opinion anymore. This I've effect. earned this fact. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think the other thing to notate here that ties into this is that type ones are the only type on the Enneagram that actually have what's called an inner critic. Um, so for most type mm. ones, that tends to be inward. Um, so the social one, most likely that's going to be inward for you. 
Meaning that there's this constant voice in the back of your head that's beating up on you for how all the things you're doing wrong, how you could be doing them better. Um, This is also where I think the moral perfectionist title comes in is because that Mm. inner voice is very much a, um, like there's a difference between an inner critic and an inner shamer, right? So twos and fours might have inner shaming voices. They're more self-deprecating, more beat up on yourself. For type Mm. ones, that tends to manifest more as a, you could be doing this better. Why aren't you doing it well enough? You should have done it this way. I would add to that because some of this is connotational. Like everything you're saying, Courtney, is 100% accurate. Mm. However, the language feels a little different than I think what's actually happening inside, at least for me. And, and I, I, but I think this might be true for other type ones. It's not necessarily, oh, you did that incorrectly. Oh, you, you didn't do that to the fullest. It's more like, it, it, it's, it's a little bit more like, um, it, it's more of an emotional, moral, it, it's like, hey, you didn't make the most of that. It, mm-hmm. Like, hey, you, you missed an opportunity there. Like, yeah. it's, more, it's more emotional than it is, like, mechanical. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons I never really identified with a lot of the type one language. Because I'm not sitting around going, like, like I, I play guitar. I'm not like, oh, you didn't play that riff right. I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. Good. Like that sounds awesome. That's rock and roll. That's good enough. Like yeah. that's fine with me. It's it's so it's not mechanical. It's more like, like I'll get stuck staying up at night because, uh, hey man, when your wife came home and said X, you missed an opportunity to say Y. Like I'll mm. I'll. And then I will literally circle back to it and go like, hey, Francisca is my wife. Francisca, like, I, I really wish I would have said, when you said this, I really wish you, I hope you didn't, like, I, like that kind of stuff. It's, it's much more emotional than it is mechanical. That's really yeah. good insight. Yeah, I would call it like deep self-analysis. That's, that's yes. what I, it's, it's more like. And to speak to what you're talking about with your wife, like my wife actually has this this funny saying for me, how like I will start a conversation in the middle of the paragraph, she'll say, <laughs> because like I would have gone through the entire Same. conversation like 10, 20 times in my head, like how I was supposed to say it to her. And then like, like how emotionally I was supposed to do it right. And then like, I'll say it, like, I'll be halfway through the conversation. I should be like, you should probably start over. <laughs> Courtney, do you remember? I I recently went on a little bit of a kick, maybe last month, where I was talking with people about like, does everybody else like practice conversations in their head? Yes, I do remember you talking about. I this. said it like a bunch, and everyone is like, "Yo, yeah, we all do that. Everyone does that." And I was like, "Okay, cool, 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 cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool." And inside, I was going, "I don't think anyone's doing it as much as I it. am." No. <laughs> No, I think everyone does it, but I don't think they do it like I do it. No, man. I, I feel the same way. I don't I literally conversations. I'll relive conversations and think about how I could have like been better. Or, like I uh, practice again, future conversations. I practice future conversations. Inner shamer versus like an inner critic. Like for me, like I'll have a conversation and then I'll 
shame myself for the way I acted in that conversation or for not saying enough, but I won't practice a future conversation. But I think that's a really important distinction that a lot of people miss. I'll run it several times. Several times. Several times. Before I I have it. And, and not even like levels. planning. <laughs> I won't even like plan to do it. I'll just be doing the dishes. And yes. while I'm doing the dishes, I'll be like having the conversation with. And like I, I was talking about, uh, um, I like my imaginary conversation with John Legg, the patron mm-hmm. saint of the Kindred's UMC. Uh, like it wasn't even a conversation I was gonna, I wasn't even like planning on meeting or talking to him in any time, re- like soon. And like, and I found myself just practicing a, a conversation with him about a topic that he is un- completely unaware of. Like, yeah. And like, and I was, and I ran it several times in my head. And like, <laughs> when I would get to a play, and I'm gonna, then I go back to the beginning and try to get, and like, like I, I, I think there's something else going on there because everyone does a version of this. Everyone mm-hmm. does like a, of some kind of this. I think it's different for type ones. And I think it's a, a behavior that I've become aware of recently. Yeah. Yeah. I do this a lot. Uh, whenever I do presentations for our company, I mean, I'll, I'll literally have the presentation ask them asking the questions. Like I can see like how it's going to be ordered and then I'll like reorder it to see if it flows better, you know, all of that. And, I, and it's all yes. mental, just like you said, while I'm doing the dishes, yes. while I'm changing a diaper, like I'm literally in the middle of changing a diaper. And I'm like, you know what? I should probably talk about the fact that we're compatible before I go into our numbers. <laughs> yeah. Like, and what would that sound like and how would that feel and how yeah, would I say yeah. it? And how, yeah. I, so like I, as a preacher, when I was at a, you know, a more traditional church than what we have here, you know, I was preaching a sermon every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most consistent compliments I got was, God, you just don't have any notes or a manuscript or anything. You just go up there and do it. And to me, I'm going like, like I've tried because, you know, studying in seminary, they make you try all different ways. And so I've tried with notes. I've tried with manuscript and I hate it. It doesn't work. And the reason why I can, the reason I can do that so well is because I'm, Throughout the week, I'm constantly practicing my sermon in my head and imagining how people are going to respond, imagining what what it feels like when I say this or when I say that or when I say it this way or when I reverse the, like, what if I did the setup later and then I did the, like, all of those types of things. I'm constantly just practicing. And then I stand up and then I just, like, Do do it again. I just do it again for the 78th time that week. You know, yeah. I've been doing it in my head all week, 10 <laughs> times a day, at least, you know, yeah. like. That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I want to get into some subtype stuff. Okay. Just cause it's fun. Um, so this is where the personality aspect of the Enneagram does come into play. Um, so basically you have three different relationships. You have your relationship with your own self and your health. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your social network or the people like that you network with and see every day. And then you have your intimate connections um, that can be romantic or just one-to-one friendships. The one you prioritize the most will often influence your personality, which mm. is how um, like countertypes, like Chris is a countertype one. That's how that can exist. 
So when you took the test, it said that you were a social subtype, which um, do you think that that do you think you prioritize your social network above everything else? Or do you think you prioritize one of the other two? I, um, I like I think it's helpful to describe it as self. One on one and like tribe. Mm-hmm. Like which of those do you tend to prioritize? Um, like one versus the other. Huh, let me think. Yeah, and they stack, so you definitely have all of them them in your life. But, like, for me, I am a social, too. I am a hard social, too. I am constantly thinking about, like, my daily thought train is, like, perfect example. When coronavirus hit and we had to stop doing what we were doing church-wise, Matt and I adopted a dog. And upon adopting the dog, my immediate brain thought was, wow, look at all these people in my neighborhood that all have puppies. How can I become their friends and get them in my social circle? Because I have no other means of socializing because this is a pandemic. And so I started Mm. like in my head before even meeting these people, planning meetups, trying to get to know them, trying to remember their names. Like that is what I am a people person through and through. I love that. Yes, you are. (laughs) But I am definitely a social subtype. Okay. Versus... My example, and because I'm becoming more aware of what I like, my example that I, when coronavirus hit, uh, my wife and I were quarantined for a while. My immediate thought was, um, what can we do together? Mm. Like, what mm. we, we're going to be together, isolated. Like, so what? Like how what are we how are we going to build our relationship essentially? But it wasn't that over. It was like, what can we do together? Like we can we all right now. We, are we going to play games? Are we gonna like maybe we should maybe we can watch all of the um, Game of Thrones again? You know, like what can we do together? That's very interesting. I, I'm a I'm a one on one subtype. So I had two immediate thoughts when this whole the whole coronavirus thing happened my first one was that i wanted to make sure that uh me and my wife that we were good and her family was good because we had just gotten back from italy and so we were literally only in the country for probably 60 days maybe 30 days before the, the lockdowns came so uh, we didn't even know what was happening. We didn't even know what was coming, you know? So we, the first thing we were doing was trying to make sure that we were okay. But then the other thought that I had, and I don't know where, I mean, I, now that I look back, it's kind of funny to me, but the other thought I had was, wow, I have a lot of time to be able to build like my, you know, like my workouts. Like I get to read more. I get to start building my business a little bit more, you know? Like I, there's less things for me to go out and do so i'm just gonna go and like do a lot of work <laughs> and get something that sounds done. like self-preservation to me between <laughs> the safety and the like just health focus and working on yourself that's i don't know what do you think chris do you agree with that yeah <clears throat> that sure i i don't have a good sense of the subtypes like mm. i find it actually more helpful to read the personality descriptions of the subtypes they seem to be accurate to me. So I will start with the self-preservation one. And if that doesn't sound like you, Derek, then we'll jump to the next one. So self-pres ones are true perfectionists. 
They are highly aware of physical and financial health. They feel they are never doing enough to attain the security they desire. They focus their frustration inward, scolding themselves to work harder, especially relating to health, fitness, work, and finances. Though they carry inner tension, they are outwardly friendly. They are particular about their surroundings, and they create an orderly, structured, and neat environment. They carefully plan their lives and may be anxious about small decisions. Up until awesome. like the up until the last part, it was it it, it, it was like kind of close, but I wouldn't say. I mean, maybe I used to be neat before I had a kid. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That- that that'll definitely change that things. Changed, yeah, that changed that. So I don't know. And being all of a sudden, about, just not that big of a deal. Yeah, like like getting spit up on. It's like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Third time today, like you know. And it was so funny. We went somewhere, and this lady with uh, with Davi spit up, and we we're like, "Sorry." She was like, "Oh, it's okay. Spit up's part of my skincare routine." Because she has kids too, and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's the life of a mom. <laughs> it's hilarious." But um, and, and then anxious about small decisions again. Ever since I've had my son, like, I'll tell you, I've become so le- like anxiousness doesn't exist anymore for me. Okay. Uh, because I guess like I've learned through reading and through I guess experience with my son, every emotion I have, he feels. So. I'm, I feel as though with that responsibility, I'm not allowed to have like the negative emotions anymore. Right. Like, and it actually became that my heart a little bit and it actually gave me. So I have this idea that when you are put into these, uh, these straight and narrow situations that it makes them easier because you understand what your, uh, your sp- like basically the specifications are. You understand what the, the, the limits stakes. are, the stakes, right? And yeah. so I understand that if I choose negative emotions, my son's either going to cry or learn negative emotions, right? And so the saying is, if you want a child to follow a path, you have to follow it yourself, right? And so I basically took this as the final basic, I guess, the piece to the puzzle for me understanding what that straight and narrow really was, right? You can choose all you want to have these other emotions. You can choose to do these other things, right? But there is now someone who is going to follow you down there. And so you, as you're making these choices, just understand what's happening, you know, and understand what those limitations are, understand what the the stakes are. And now that I understand that I've become so free and being loving, so free and not letting things bother me so free and just being happy all the time, because I don't, there's no other choice in, in my mind anymore. You know, th- well, there's happiness or bust, you know, <laughs> like <sure. that's> a- <laughs> may, may I offer a slight counterpoint from, yeah. from someone who's ignorant. I've never had kids. I, you know, I don't, the closest I've ever gotten to that is being a youth director and right. You know, that's definitely not the same. Um, may, uh, but I'll just offer a counterpoint for, for consideration. Okay. Almost certainly your child as, as he grows up and becomes an adult and learns to navigate life, there's no getting out without heartbreak and grief and oh, disappointment yeah. 
you know, all of the, and, and anger and frustration, like all of those. And I, I wonder if part of uh, modeling well is not not feeling those feelings, but instead modeling how to use those feelings well. Because some people, mm. when they get angry, they like punch people, and it's like yeah. get out of here. Nobody wants that. Get out of here. Yeah, but yeah. Some people and like so. My uh, I, I I was a chaplain for a hospital for a long time. And a big part of my training was learning to use my anger. I would get angry when I felt like doctors were mistreating patients' families and not being honest with them. Um, and like, um, I can get mad at that doctor and cause problems, or I can use that anger, the injustice that I'm witnessing, mm -hmm. to then work for the family and advocate in front of the doctor so that they can then join their loved one at the, you know, like, so it's like, yes, I'm angry. Now, how do I use that? Am I going to lose my temper? No. Like, that doesn't help anyone. But, I'm, but I can use that anger as energy and, like, it, like it's going to energize me and move me into a good direction. And especially, you know, if I'm, if I'm funneling that in a spiritual way, if I'm cooperating, again, I talk about this, cooperating with the grace that undergirds all of creation that's moving us all towards life and healing and reconciliation. Anger can be a part of that. Like, Jesus got angry a few times in scripture. Oh yeah. And then, oh, yeah. and the disappointment same, like grief, like man, some of my most powerful moments at the hospital were just weeping with families mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and just mm -hmm. being like I don't understand why God is doing this. I don't understand what's going on and I don't understand with you. And this this is terrible. Um yeah. I, the the first the first child I ever baptized died in within two days, and we knew wow. it. We knew that was going to happen, and we yeah. baptized him, knowing that he was basically dead man walking. And but like wow. that's like God that like what else would you feel but grief and sadness in that? And yeah. there's something life giving and lovely about that. Yeah. So wh while I definitely understand you, you don't like you don't want to model unhealthy, dysfunctional, codependent, whatever you know, all these kinds of dis dysfunctional, or, yeah. emotional stuff. I would oh, also yeah. say there's plenty of room for like, you know, grief and anger and you know, uh, fear. There's healthy fear, you know. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. And and I guess. And I agree a thousand percent with what you guys are saying, with what you're saying. I kind of have this motto, you know, when it comes to life, you know, no one gets out alive, you know? So <laughs> right. it's, it's not like you're just like you said, it's not like you're, um, there's only happiness, but it's an understanding of when we are angry, just like you said, when you are kind of having these these tough times, like you kind of got to just like realize really what I always say is I kind of tell people like my, my number one question, whenever someone's like really hurting, I'm like, where are you right now? What are you like? What are you doing? What time is it? You know, because no matter what life is still moving, you got to relax for a second and just understand you're breathing. You're on the right side of this. You know, one of the questions I ask myself <laughs> is, um, what what do you what do you need that you lack right and and almost i'm i mean like never 
is there an actual answer to that question? Almost exactly. always the answer is nothing. I have everything right. I need right now. I have food in my pantry. I have a roof over my head. I have a woman who loves me and a community who accepts me and cares about me. Blessings like, on blessings on blessings. There's like, there's nothing I lack. There's literally nothing. I, I'm, I'm worried <laughs> that maybe one day I will lack, but like you have everything you need. <laughs> like yeah, everything absolutely. you need is right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My dad used to have this saying. So my dad is uh my dad's very interesting guy. He um so so to go to like the relationships of fathers and son, me and my father, we we got along, but then we also did not get along at all for a very large part of our life. Uh he actually kicked me out when I was twenty-four years old. I I was homeless for about six months, and it was probably the most eye-opening part of my life. I lived in uh my Dodge Neon for a couple of months, and then from there I learned it's how not a to, large car. Yeah, no, no. And, and I, I'm not a small guy. So, right. <laughs> and I, uh, you take up a lot of that car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like more than the entire backseat. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, from there, I, I, I then became the resident assistant at the University of Miami. So I actually had a place to stay because of that job. And then I ended up uh, graduating from UM and then started my own business and so on and so forth. But um, one thing that my dad always told me when I was a kid was, we're, if I'm friends with you before you turn 26, I'm not doing my job. Mm. And so that was the type of relationship we had. I, it's not the, necessarily the same one I want to have with my son, you know? And so that's been one thing. But then the other thing is, is that he taught me some things about faith that I just haven't heard many other people say, you know? For example, my dad has read the Bible probably cover to cover like 38 times or something. You know, um, yeah, he's more than me. He's a professional (laughs) Christian. (laughs) Right. And then like he's also read uh, like multiple other religious books multiple times. And uh, he's always said to me, you know, worrying is just a lack of faith. You have to always remember that if you're really a faithful person, You have to understand that there's someone that's in control of a lot of the stuff around you. So you just don't understand what's happening. And so you have to remember that. Just remember you don't understand. Remember that you don't have the knowledge yet. And once you have it, you'll understand. And that's really how, like, I kind of try to teach my son, but I'll try and teach him as a friend, you know, more friendly way. But I would like I would like my son to like me. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, I would like to us to smile together. You know. <laughs> yeah. I so I would say the I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, yeah. uh, like uh, there there is like a natural counterpoint between faith and worry. Yeah. The one the one thing I would add to that, and this is the way of the cross, because I'm you know I must pastor and i just can't help myself um though we think as humans the human tendency is then to squash worry and to say then then i won't worry so that i have faith then i will i will ignore and squash my fears because they are the enemy of faith and i then that will make me have faith and that's actually not the way through Right. The way through, as Jesus models, in at least in Christianity, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar as familiar with Jesus in, in Islam, but like 
the way that forward is to die to and surrender to the worry and the fear, trusting in a grace and a God that can turn worry and fear into faith, that right. turns death into life. Like it, you're, you're not able to actually convert your own fear into faith. You just don't have the power. You're not that creative. You just aren't. But, there, but the good news is there's a God who loves you, who does have that power, and is pr- pretty much explicitly in the business yes. of turning grief into uh, joy, death into life, fear into faith, worry into peace. Like, all, like that's what God does. And when we trust over and ekes out and, like, does all kinds of heinous things to our psyche— um, but when we sur- when we lean into it and go, oh God, I'm afraid. Yes. I am truly afraid. Oh God, I am afraid. I don't know what to do here. Please, God. Then there's something that happens where there's something else that's bigger than us that it can actually work with that. Absolutely. And I, you know, it's 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 confession and death and resurrection. Like it's it's yes. confession, healing, forgiveness. It's it's an age old pattern that's For been sure. in not just Christianity, but like all kinds of healthy spiritual expressions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, and like I, it just works. It does. It does. Uh, I I call them reminders. Right. Those are reminders to pray. Every fear is a reminder to pray. Every worry is a reminder to pray. And then the other and side to pray, of that is, pray in spirit and truth. Exactly. Like don't, don't hold it back from God. Trust that right. God loves you. Yeah. Pray about everything. Like just, yeah. just go in on it. You know. Like it, and, it uh, never hurts to ask. Is, is what I say. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you, it, I mean, don't make demands of God. That's not healthy. No, but like, no, it no. never hurts to ask. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, just a little nerd in me too. Like I, the Airbender, I kind of call you know the creator's like an energy bender. You know, any energy that you feel that's negative, he can turn that right around into positive energy. So yeah. anything that you, just as you were saying that turning that fear into joy, turning death into light, all that, you know, just bending that and bringing it back. And, and this is great stuff, man. You know, like you realize that just as you said, Christianity, Jesus and, and Islam, I mean, it's, it's the same guy, you know, he, he's, he's right. saying the same things. He's, he's definitely telling you, you know, take that direction, go straight to the creator, you know, like have that type of relationship, you know, and, and, I think that's very important. And I, I mean, I love it. I really do. I enjoy it. Yeah, I made a whole life out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Derek, you're one of the first people that I really got into it about like spirituality and how that can look different and what we can believe with. So that was that was cool as one of my first like adult interactions was to be able to have that conversation with you on a plane of all places. Yeah. For real, I'll be honest, Courtney, it was one of my first adult ones too. And I'm much older than you, but you don't yeah, really get to open about those. You don't really get to open up about that type of stuff with everybody, you know? There's something about, yeah. uh, unfortunately, about the structures of the institutions that teach us spirituality. Yes. That can be a little rigid. Right. And Richard Rohr, who's a, he's a Franciscan monk, and he, he has this quote. I, I, I won't quote it exactly because I don't remember it, but the, the essence of it is like, any good spiritual structure should have the decency to self-destruct. 
like once once the institution and the structure has imparted its wisdom to you it should have the common decency to self-destruct so that then you have to figure out how the spirituality actually works in real life is essentially what he's getting at you know and then and that and that doesn't happen just once that happens over and over again you know like when we're children when i was a child i learned about you know noah and the ark and the two by two animals that go on the ark and how god gives a rainbow and then as a teenager you start to go like that doesn't make any sense and it's like, well, yeah, that structure should self-destruct so that then you have to find something with a little more gray in it. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe there's something deeper going on. And then you get into your 30s. Maybe maybe you have a kid and it, and it just forces you to rethink a lot of other things that you're like, oh, some of these things, some of these things are really important support structures. And some of these things are need to break away. They're fragile and they don't work in the reality that I'm living in and there's something deeper and more, more meaningful going on behind the spirituality. Like, and there's something about the, uh, the types of conversation that you're talking about that can be like these wonderful little opportunities to like actually have that experience of like, Oh, you know, you know like uh, I'm a white Christian, like cisgendered straight guy. I was taught, not objectively, but like kind of hinted at and taught growing up, especially in 9-11, that Muslims are a certain kind of way, you know? They're a certain kind of way. And it's not until you meet people who actually practice Islam, like it's, and you meet imams and you meet like practicing Islamic people, and you're like, oh, you're talking a lot like I talk. Like you care about a lot of the things that I care about. Like I, m uh, this doesn't add up. Derek, I think you're muted. Oh yeah, your your muted button is on. And I agree. <laughs> it's so funny. All those things are absolutely true because I actually became a Muslim after nine eleven, and so was me trying to find out like about the religion and trying to understand like why would they do this you know that's what i was thinking like why would someone do this yep. why would what what god would tell someone to do this right and then i start reading the <laughs> book and i'm like not this one dude i feel the same way all I, I was the like, time wait a about minute. the church. I, I was feel like, the wait same way about the church. Oh boy. Are we even reading the same books? Like I was <laughs> like <laughs> It's so it was so interesting to go through that and, to, and like I mean, even my family, like they were like, Yeah, you're a Muslim now. I was like, Yeah, have you read the book? They're like, No. But like those are the people with from that like they should read the book. And they read the book and they're like, There's nothing in there. I'm not like I know. <laughs> So, uh, just to circle back around, uh, we're in the, like, God is in the business of turning death into life and doubt into faith and fear into, like, so here we have a, a tragedy that should have made an enemy of an entire group of people. And instead, what it's done is brought you closer to God. Like through exploring those people. 
Uh, you muted again. I don't know what's going on. Like 1%. I know, we're losing you. Yeah, so I'm trying to stay on. I'm, I'm losing all of you. Uh, it's just cutting in and out is all. Uh oh. Oh no. Oh, we were just getting somewhere too. <laughs> uh, oh, I think we nice. might be suffering from some kind of an internet problem. Hmm. Well, I say we go ahead and cheers since we're kind of right at an hour. Um, and then. Hopefully, Derek can. Hopefully, oh, there'll be enough bandwidth. Derek, are you there? Can you hear us? I have 1% left on my phone, so it's about to turn off. That's what was happening. Okay, go ahead and cheer something. Um, Say a cheers to something. But, oh, cheers to you guys. Cheers to inviting me to this actual podcast, man, and being able to meet you guys. That might be it. Uh, we love you, cheers. Derek. Thank you. Yeah, we love you, Derek. We, uh, I will cheers to the process of death and resurrection, as I have often done. The idea that we worship a God and cooperate with a grace that can turn the worst into the best. And I am going to cheers to meeting the right people in the right places. It's crazy to think that one of the most, man, like that flight in general was like one of my first like adult interactions. Like I had just turned 18. I was going to visit my brother. Like I was flying all by myself with my best friend across the country. Like that was definitely an origin story kind of trip for You're me. You're a real and girl. Yeah. It was great. And to meet someone as impactful and cool as Derek and, you know, like that was what I'm 26 now. That was like eight years ago. Like to still have these kinds of people in your life and to be able to have these kind of conversations like that's really meaningful. It means a lot. So I'll cheers to that. Cheers. All right. Sorry, Derek. I hope you're out there somewhere listening to this and feeling the love and grace. Uh, all right. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>